Slide of hand and twist of fate On a bed of nails she makes me wait and Hi and welcome to this audio commentary on A Separation, the 2011 film directed by Osgar Farhadi. My name is Rob Caravaggio, robcaravaggio.blogspot.com. And if you would like to synchronize your copy of A Separation to this audio commentary, we'll give you a countdown in just a moment to help you do that. In the meantime, what you can do is locate the very start of the movie. We're watching a Region 1 DVD, and there is a Sony Pictures Classics logo that comes just before the opening title sequence. When that Sony Pictures Classics logo fades to black, hit pause on your DVD, Blu-ray, or what have you, and that will allow us to all hit play together momentarily and watch the movie in perfect, synchronized harmony. Okay, if you've located the start of the movie and are synced up to that point just after the Sony Pictures Classics logo has faded to black, Let's all hit play together. I'm going to say three, two, one, play. And that'll be your cue to hit play. Three, two, one, play. We begin here in a very uh, sort of bureaucratic and clinical way, um, a non-personal way. Those are, uh, we will learn, the papers or the identification of our lead characters who are petitioning their, uh, petitioning a, a, a jurist. Uh, I'll talk about the Iranian legal system a little later. They're petition- petitioning for a divorce and explaining themselves, and that'll be... Uh, uh, the first shot of the movie is them facing the judge, and we are in sitting in the position of the judge. But this this xeroxing of the papers, uh, we recognize this light passing over the the identification papers as a xerox kind of thing. It, uh, you know, detaches us, uh, and it and it we we view them uh, as the opening shot will show us. We we view them in the way uh, their government views them, in the way the state views them. You know, the, the tension between the personal, the interpersonal, the domestic, the familial, and um, there's the first shot. And uh, the tension between that and the state's kind of, um, the, the sort of use of the law being a blunt instrument and the, the sort of impersonal way that, an officious way that the state handles... Um, handles people who come before it in these kinds of situations is one of the major, I think, thematic interests of the movie. Here we are in the opening shot. Uh, the actress on the left is Leela Hatami. She's one of the professional actresses, actors in the movie, and, and she's very good. Uh, on the right, we have Peyman Mahdi. Uh, I'm going to be butchering these Iranian names. Apologies for that. Um, he plays Nadir, or Nader, um, once again, apology for that pronunciation. They're very good in this opening scene. We're, we're kind of thrust into their situation. Whatever has happened in this marriage that is causing them to petition for its end, um, 
you know, we, we have the sense that this this thing of her wanting to move away and 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 leave the country, um, we have the sense that this is just the flashpoint, or or that this is just the thing that is wrong now. We we were you know they, there may have been tensions for some time. They seem to be at odds in a way that is at once more about larger things as much as it's about this her her wanting to leave. Now Nadir is is uh, Nadir is going to say something to Samin, his wife there on the left. He, he's uh, well right now he's saying uh, about their daughter and and her future and and that's when the judge who is uh, w- whose vantage point we have we never see the judge in this opening scene. That's when the judge says, uh, you know, what do you mean by that? Uh, what do you mean that your daughter won't have a, a better life in this in this country? You know, sort of what you talking about Willis kind of thing. Um, the idea that there might be some things that are non-ideal in Iranian society is something that the bureaucrats and the, and the courts are not want to acknowledge um, for one thing. What I was going to say is that he, he's going to say, Nadir's going to say that I do, I'm not an addict. I don't, uh, he may have already said it. I wasn't uh, reading my subtitles, but I'm not an addict. I don't beat you. I am not uh, abusive in in some of the ways that would be uh, under this system, uh, the Iranian system, that would be legitimate, quote unquote, legitimate grounds for divorce. Um, you are not entitled to a divorce simply for what is called rec- irreconcilable differences as uh, most jurisdictions in the state have something like that or the equivalent where if you don't want to be married to someone anymore I'm going to move the microphone just a minute uh, just a bit here so forgive the noise there we are you don't um, you don't have a sort of absolute right to end a marriage just because you don't want to be in the marriage anymore you have to have a sort of cause I love how the actors sort of come right up into the lens there what is Farhadi doing here? Farhadi's um, previous movies have have uh, meditated upon Iranian domestic life, um, and I, I'm not sure what his next movie's about. I just haven't read much about it. I know he's producing it in France, but um, there's his screen credit on the screen now, translated for us nicely in those yellow subtitles. At least on my version of the movie, I have yellow subtitles. Uh, that hallway that they're walking through now is going to be uh, in the last shot of the film. That that so this idea of they they sort of hack out their differences at home and and then in these sort of impersonal government buildings. The the building they live in, uh, Nadir's family and and Samin's family, the the building they live in, this sort of um, well-to-do couple, um, sort of resembles the government building in a way and that that's kind of uh, a point of note perhaps you know one of the things I like is the way Farhadi um, shifts uh, sort of juggles the editing in this movie um, just with a couple of very nice cuts um, and very well-timed cuts as as Samin was coming up the stairs we we were able I, I love the whole gag with those guys in the piano we were able to conclude that um, that there were two guys and then and we sort of had the dimensions of that stairwell in that space there's our first shot of Rezia and there through the reflection in the glass we see 
we see Nadir shaving his father. The father is unable to care for himself. I love this movie so much, and I'm going to talk about my experience with it throughout this commentary, but um, I even for I love it so much that I even forgive it this sort of gags that uh, we've seen. They're almost tropes in movies that we've seen so much. The, the gag of the suitcase and not being able to close it when someone's leaving. Uh, we've seen that so many times, and yet it it's not played for humor here, but it just... it. You know, I, I don't care. I love the movie so much. It was my, my number one movie of uh, 2011. The idea of windows and, um, again, allowing us to note the dimensions of this living space right away, especially compared to some living spaces that we'll see with the other family later on, we note that they are not just a well-to-do family, but a secular family. And, and the way information is divvied out in this movie is sort of... Um, very Hitchcockian kind of pace, you know. We're we're given th- we're given certain pieces of information in a certain order for a certain reason. Everything is is divvied out with with a purpose. The windows here, it, it is the kind of apartment that um, you can look through a window and see into the same apartment, and we we note that right at the beginning when we enter here. There's the doorway and the stairwell that will be so pivotal in this plot. Um, so the inciting incident is not so much them wanting to dissolve their marriage, but, but, uh, will come later. So it's sort of, uh, this is all exposition, you know, even, even the, this thing there is reaching up, uh, this thing with the, putting the keys up there, this is all exposition that we need to know. Farhadi understands that, that the story he's telling requires us to, pay attention but but requires us to to know what kind of family this is what the relationships are like and kind of what the vibe is in this apartment in this very large apartment we um an iranian audience says i i was educated about uh, through this movie and sort of my love for it i, I was educated about iranian you know iranian uh, culture a little bit uh just a little bit and you know uh, i'll the person who educated me made some good points there. She is counting a big wad of cash. That's going to stick in our mind later on. That was in the bedroom. Um, Iranian audiences, uh, there are certain things, uh, just like in American movies um, or Western movies, you know, uh, an American audience is going to pick up on certain references and certain subtexts uh, in, a, in a movie like... Uh, uh, anything from, you know, Scott Pilgrim to a James Bond movie, you know, we're, we're going to pick up on certain subtexts because we're we're hip to the culture. We're part of the culture. And a lot of that is lost on me and lost on Western audiences. But the, the little things that I've been educated about, I'll, I'll try to give you some of those uh, as they pop up. There's Terme. She just left the frame. Um... And we note here the uh, uh, Terme, of course, is played by the the director Farhadi's own daughter, and she is uh, the most interesting character to me. Uh, just the res- the restraint of that performance too is um, Iranian cinema. I'll, I'll try to uh, give you a, a something like a crash course as we watch the movie for for those who are not as uh, up on uh, Iranian cinema, and it's it's really some of the most exciting movies. Ever are Iranian movies to me. Um, so I'll try to um, 
supply something like a crash course or, or, or give you some factoids that might help you appreciate the movie. Uh, one thing is that Iranian movies uh, almost always, um, and even in the lead roles, often have non-professional actors and are most often, especially with the big-time Iranian directors, Makhmobab and Panahi and now Farhadi and, of course, uh, Abbas Kiarostami, um, you often have a, a really, really big mixture of, of professional and non-professional actors. And the extent to which the professional, or rather the non-professional actors, are just kind of awesome and, and the, the sort of poise they have uh, compared to non-professional actors that you see in uh, perhaps American movies has really always been impressive to me. There's the oxygen tank that will sort of be part of a little gag later on. We had that moment between the old man and Samin. We note that he, despite due to Alzheimer's not having all his marbles, uh, to put it so somewhat indelicately, um, we, we note that he has affection for her and that he perhaps senses that something is amiss here that she may be leaving. And and so um, it's a great portrayal of Alzheimer's, you know, the way that and, and the way a separation uh, uncapitalized, just when people separate, when relationship ends, the way you on the way out kind of focus on these little things that are small compared to the big thing that's happening, which is that someone is leaving the CD there. I'm taking the CD as if, you know. As if to be matter of fact, or as if to undermine the gravity of what's happening, we sometimes do these things as humans. And the movie has a uh, such a great intelligence and observ observational quality to it about the way we interact as human beings. Uh, not to be too highfalutin about it, but um, it's really one of my one of my big reasons why I like the film and like watching it so much over and over. Uh, I've seen it uh, three, four times um, just with different people. Uh, we note that she's crying there. There's not a big close-up where the tear falls or anything. She's wearing these big Ray-Ban sunglasses, but we know even the Ray-Ban sunglasses, right? Um, the fact that she drives a car, the fact that she leaves, she's able to leave her husband of her own accord and, um, you know, the fact that as a, a middle-class um, this is a movie about class very much too, and and uh, Iranian audiences are going to appreciate appreciate that more deeply uh, because it's their society than than I can. But uh, I do note that um, uh, Simin is a middle class wife who has a profession, who is not uh, wearing the full. Uh, that's not a full burqa that um, Razier is wearing, but it it is a a more complete, uh, shall we say form of the religious dress that women wear in um, uh, some Middle Eastern countries. And you note that Simin, I think it's just called the Nikwab. The, uh, this is a little bit of foreshadowing too. her in the street with the kid. Uh, I think it's called the Nikwab uh, or the Nikab, the, the, just the scarf like the little girl has here. What an adorable little, I just love this little girl. She's going to press her nose up to the glass in a, I think coming up here and it's just, it's this little cute thing. One of the cute things that they give her to do in the movie that just endear us to her. There you go. <laughs> little squirt. Just, just not, not all kids are cute, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and she is, so 
blocking the door there. We get that little cut in. Yeah, there are all these little ways, these little mark, even the way that the little girl there explores the house a little bit and is, is sort of fascinated by this bigger living space than the one she's used to. Um, all these little touches that let us know that there is a very big class divide here between Razier and where she comes from and the, the class of uh, socioeconomic class that she perhaps represents in the movie and her that and her husband um will represent versus the um the middle class here's another little bit of thing windows 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 lots of window business in the movie um i love this moment the cookie in the mouth is just great i love this moment with the the belly so we we it it's this cute way without you know um running over it with a bright orange or yellow highlighter farhadi allows us to note that the child knows that her mother is pregnant and to note the pregnancy and to note approximately you know when you can hear kicking approximately how far you know this is she's well into her pregnancy but at the same time the way in which she dresses the the religious garb um that covers the whole body head to toe does uh, hide that pregnancy a little bit. It makes it harder to see that she is pregnant. That's going to be a big, big plot point. The old man is is heartbreaking. Um, there's the sense that this this old man is just kind of resigned to his illness, and you never know, quite know when people are this far into Alzheimer's. You never quite know what they're aware of or when they're aware of it or, or you know, because they have this moment, these, um, what in another psychological context is uh, sometimes called a lucid interval. Um, they have these moments of complete clarity where they remember things and they they can converse in, in very um, complete ways. And, and then they have what you just saw there, that he points to his own oxygen tank and says, what is that? Uh, so, so the, the, the way it comes and goes and, and the amount of stress and heartbreak that that can have for the people who love the patient is really, um, reflected in, in this movie. I'm going to talk more generally about the movie and how I see it, but just at the beginning in these opening scenes, I want to note kind of what Farhadi is doing and the way he's setting up the pace of this movie and the way he's delivering information obliquely, not obliquely, but, um, as you know, um, it, it's, uh, it, it's not, it, he gives us this plot points and th these pieces of information that we'll need to know, but in, in a bad screenplay or in a, in a shitty movie, what you'll have is, is, um, they kind of flag it for the audience. They make it the point of the scene. It's like, well, Bob, I, I see you're, you know, I see you're a day away from retirement. Isn't that interesting? And it's sort of the point of the dialogue at that scene. But here, like we noted that uh, Samin there, she had the dry erase marker in her hand and she clearly, they were out of focus, but she clearly had had uh, school children or, or behind her. So and, and they're going to say it outright that she is a teacher later on and, and we'll have a scene at the school, a couple of scenes at the school where she works. But just at the beginning here, we, we have that, um, we, we are allowed to gather that even though the dialogue is, is about something else. We see the marker, we see the kids. So it's a very, you know, it's a two-hour movie. It's a very economical movie. And uh, 
I just love the the way Farhadi has paced it and and managed to give us this information and uh, and trust us. Trust trust the. That's another big thing in Iranian cinema. I mean, this is you know the Iranian. Uh, despite the douchebags who who are running that country, the re, the regime, um, currently anyway, uh, despite that, um, uh, you know, it, it, people in the West think that sometimes assume that there's a certain amount of backwardness or a lack of education or a lack of sophistication. Uh, I mean, just and I can say just from seeing Iranian movies. Uh, and the the which are made for mass audiences, uh, just the the level of intellect and and the the um, the love of art, the the deep love of art that seems to be in Iranian culture that I have noted just as an outsider from um, taking an interest in in the culture through movies. Um, uh, and you see it. Um, Kiarostami, one of his best movies, is called Close Up. I recommend that movie highly. Perhaps I'll even do a commentary of it. Um, it's this really artistically daring movie. It's one of those movies about movies, but it, it avoids all the tropes. It's sort of half documentary, half not. It's just the most fascinating thing you've ever seen. And it's noteworthy here, as she as I'll, I'll talk about what's going on on screen here with the religious hotline in a minute. It's notable here because it also involves the Iranian legal system. However, it was structured slightly different in that movie uh, than it is than what we see of it here in, in a separation. We just had the call to the religious hotline. Now, that's going to be a, a key plot point. This is not a movie that judges any of the characters. They're all flawed. They're all imperfect. They all do good and bad things. Nobody's the hero. Nobody's the villain. And that religious hotline, she's a devout woman. As, as <laughs> I love this little girl. I mean, just, I don't know how you get a performance like that out of a kid. I mean, that young, it seems to me that that's just the kid. Um, you know, the ki kids are able to do that or they're not on cue. Um, yeah, the, the religious hotline is, is something people always remember. Evidently, it's a real thing. She called to ask, uh, if you haven't seen this movie before you're listening to this, see the movie, but she obviously called to ask if it was oh, permissible for her to tend to his, this old man who had wet his pants and uh, I'll I'll say some things about uh, about the sort of religious things in the movie. Uh, I've got some comments on that. Now this is a very important scene because of what it says about Nadir. It has uh, to me this is not a scene about the Terme, his daughter. This is about Nadir. I'm gonna say Nader just because I I'm not even gonna try to pronounce these these names properly. I'm just going to apologize in advance and profusely. Uh, Nader is. I think Nader might be correct, actually, but I'm just saying. Uh, so he's uh, admonishing his daughter. He's trying to instruct his daughter that, no, no, you pumped the gas, and so you don't tip. You withhold the tip. Only if they pump the gas do you tip. And so it's this scene that begins. It's very important. You see the smile here as the scene ends on her face. And now we have this wonderful thing where they're running up the stairs and joshing each other and horsing around and... He loves his daughter, and he loves her, or and she loves him rather. Um, but that was a very important scene in the car, and I and, and it goes by kind of very quickly. Um, so it begins in such a way where we think, "Oh, Nader is a is a tightwad. He's he doesn't want to tip. Uh, you know, he looks to avoid tipping whenever possible." 
first of all, what he's saying there makes sense. You know, you tip, you know, when there are, it's customary to tip when they pump the gas, you know, uh, and, and second of all, if he were a tightwad, he, after he doesn't, he, he would have kept the money for himself, but he actually gives it to his daughter, uh, sort of as a, perhaps as a way of helping her remember the lesson that he's, that he's just taught her. He, he, he's very curt with her at the beginning there. So it seems like he's yelling at her or that she's in trouble for doing it. But, but he really just wanted to teach her that. So he can be a stern man, but he can also be loving and, and playful. And that's very important because his morality is going to come into question. And so it's important that we see him in his full complexity right away. Uh, once again, none of the characters are good or, good or bad. Um, not in, in Farhadi's view, anyway. That's how I have read the movie. I think that's how most critics have read the movie. Um, but that, that scene in the car, I just love it because it gets that across. And it also, of course, money. It has to do with money, right? He's teaching her about uh, money. And, it, and it, it also signals to us that he's cognizant of how much money perhaps he has in his pocket or his home, how much money... Uh, you know, he keeps track of things, let's just say. Uh, and so that's going to be something we're going to keep in mind. Now, keeping all of these things in mind, as I, I've said that a couple of times, you know, we have to keep this in mind. We have to keep that in mind as you watch the movie. You know, this is going to stick out in our mind. Keeping these things in mind doesn't help you. It, it doesn't become a codex. You know, this isn't a Hitchcockian movie in that sense where you can piece together what happened or you can you can make sense of things and arrive at an answer or a an explanation for, for what the narrative means. Um, no, the, you know, you, you keep all these things in mind to appreciate the fullness of the ambiguity that we're left with at the end of the story. Like a movie like, uh, it occurs to me as I watch this scene, just as the dialogue begins about tea, and then she abruptly says that he soiled his pants. Um, and it's not right for me to clean him, as she just said. It's like a movie like Chinatown, you know. Every every line of dialogue, every scene has a point and leads directly to the next one. And and it's it's just, there's no wasted time or energy or, or anything. You see the shame on his face. This is a, a perhaps a cultural thing, but but perhaps... At the same time, you know, in most cultures, this would be an awkward moment. Uh, even if you take religion out of it, which it's it's hard to do in a, in a movie like this where religion plays such a role, but, you know, this would be an awkward moment for, uh, you know, they, they're more of a secular couple, uh, Nadir and Samin. Their family is a bit more secular. Uh, she's obviously devout, Rezier, um, and he just paid her there. But you see that he was embarrassed about it. Um, it's a very, it's a very key thing to keep in mind, I think, that, you know, he didn't force the issue, despite being somewhat of a more secular guy, he understands, he understands her, you know, he, he perhaps respects her religious devotion, and, and he's not gonna, he's not gonna insist upon her caring for the father when she's going to have to do things like that. Now, the religious hotline, what the religious hotline uh, told her, as you as you saw, 
uh, is that uh, as an isolated incident, it would be okay for her, for her to assist the old man to change him, to get new pants on him, perhaps to bathe him below the waist. That would be all right because you're just doing it this once. Um, you know, and the, and the idea of some imam or theologian on the other line making these sort of judgment calls and the fact that that's such as we have our first shot here of um of Razier's husband uh I love the actor here I don't know if he's professional or not but I, I just love him and of course uh, Nadir appears to work at a bank or some something like a bank uh sure looks like a bank uh the genericness of it suggests a government office of some type some kind And the fact that they have this conversation over the glass. I don't know if this is intended on the part of Farhadi or not, but it suggests to me those conversations that you have with an inmate through glass. You know, and we'll we'll learn later on about um, Razier's husband's um, about his past and perhaps some he was going to he had gone to debtor's prison and and um, perhaps some. He's referred to as uh, Hojat is the character's name, and the actor's name is uh, is Shahab Husseini. So this whole thing, talking through the glass as if as you would to an inmate who's incarcerated, is I, again I don't know if they have that in Iran. I don't know if it's intended or not, but it's just it's just a, a, a connection that I made when I when I first saw, or rather uh, when I saw the movie a second time on on reviewing. The movie, it's a connection that I made. And I, uh, I submit it to you, uh, however much sense that make, might make to you. So we have this little model that she made for school. And, okay, now this, this dialogue that you're getting here. The, now, when I saw the movie the first time, I'm like, uh, this, this doesn't have anything to do with what ultimately happens in the story. Uh, he says right there, he just said, it's Arabic, not Persian. And... So, so the gist of what's going on in this dialogue was explained to me at a screening of the movie after which there was a panel discussion with, uh, he wasn't an Iranian scholar. I think he was just a scholar who happened to be Iranian and knew about Iranian culture. And so he explained that this is a very political thing that's going on with his daughter here. You notice what he said, what Nader said to her was, uh, she said, if I write that pronunciation of the word, the teacher's going to mark it wrong, and I'm going to lose points. And he obviously, she's a good student. He obviously cares about her being a good student. He encourages her to be a good student, and, and th this is important to him. Uh, but he nonetheless tells her, mark it, the pronunciation that I'm telling you, um, and if they mark it wrong, they mark it wrong. You, you do what's right. And from his view, he's saying you do what's right, and and if the teacher says it's wrong, that doesn't matter. What's right is right, and there's a nuance to that that Iranian audiences would have gotten because the exact uh, now I I'm not the right person to explain it, but the exact thing that's going on there is this Arabic versus Persian pronunciation has to do with the political uh, culture and history of Iran. And so it's something of a contentious thing uh, b between uh, diff people of different politics. How, what should be the, you know, obviously the teacher views it differently than, <laughs> here's the oxygen tank gag. Um, but obviously the teacher views it different than Nadir. But he's going to, you know, it, it's something he feels passionately about, perhaps as passionately as Razier feels about her religion. 
Um, <laughs> so that was that was one of the nuances I was educated about, uh, and I found it very interesting, and it, it certainly explained a dimension of the movie there in that scene that I hadn't appreciated before. So I always like that. I always love, you know, I always really love being educated about that that kind of stuff. And you see her doing labor here, despite being very far along into her pregnancy. This is um, not not what an OBGYN would, would recommend, that she be doing this kind of thing. And here's the garbage on the steps, of course. And uh, the young girl uh, will, be, will be scolded for this uh, shortly. Um, the stairwell, she wipes it on herself. Exactly what a kid would do. And we just jump right back into the into the room here. The movie doesn't waste any time. So this so these things, these things that are you know, the garbage spills, she cleans it up, um, the old man's not in his room. Exactly, you know, and you notice that we're playing with time here. There was time that was skipped between the the girl being on the stairs, between her reporting back to her mother, and between that and this scene here with her uh, razier and the stairwell. Uh, so so already, Farhadi's kind of setting us up for what is about to happen right here, which is the big uh, rabbit in the hat that the movie has. Um, and this is sort of a, a well-done kind of little action scene. I like that we get the vantage point of the little girl to start with out, the, out near that balcony. So we're so these cuts are skipping time. We're not seeing this in real time. And so he's already setting us up for the fact that he's skipping things. So when you really carefully watch the movie, you see that you really appreciate just how careful and how, how breezy it is how carefully this is done, but how breezy it's done. Uh, you know, it's done nonchalantly and it trusts us, the audience to, to move toward it. And then we just skip to the foosball. Um, so what was, again, if you haven't seen the movie, turn this off, see the movie, but what just happened there that we, <laughs> she shakes the kid. Uh, what just happens there that which we has bit which Farhadi withholds from us, and I never resented Farhadi for withholding it. I think it's I think it's great that he withheld it. Um, but the old man, or I think it was Razier, the old man narrowly misses getting hit by a car, and then she's hit by the car, and so um, and so again, time has been skipped, and we don't see any of that. We have the implication through the cutting that he might, the old man might be hit, but. In fact, it was Razier, and, and Farhadi withholds that for about the next 80 minutes. He'll, <laughs> we will not know that. Again, shaking the <laughs> So we see this, this camaraderie or this, this, the two families, the Razier's daughter bonding. And we see Nader not just being a good dad, but being, being a good son. You know, this movie really made me cry uh, the second time I saw it, not the first, um, because... These are good people, um, all of them. They really are. So we, so this little thing on the bus. A lot of Iranian movies that I've seen have have scenes on public transportation. That you get this. So that fainting thing is perhaps pursuant to the miscarriage that she is about to have, or that that would have been caused by the accident. 
or perhaps it's just stress following that situation. But the old man is looking out the at the door. But it's it's um it's rather clear that uh you know the movie doesn't ever say for sure, but certainly if a pregnant woman is hit by a car, I'm not. I mean I, I'm. I've decided that that's what caused the miscarriage. Although, although you know, it's a, it's an unfortunate thing. They do happen uh, unprompted by uh, such such accidents. Yeah, the old man is just heartbreaking. He's sort of sort of holding the door there. This handheld sort of documentary look is something that's going to simmer down as the movie progresses. I, I, I noticed this uh, as I was preparing to uh, do a commentary on it, that, the, that this sort of handheld documentary style look, it's going to, um, you're not going to see as much of it when we get into the third act. Um it's going to taper off and i just i i leave it to you to decide what that means if anything i i think that um it's definitely a some a thing that i that i notice it's beautifully shot uh the whole way through but so the keys missing so we've already been given these these rituals that that you know we we are experiencing this with nadir and with terme um, what does it mean that the key is missing? It means that someone has it, and, and obviously Razier would be the one who has it, but where is Razier? And we know that this woman uh, is uh, a good neighbor and has knows that Razier works there now, and and so everything that Nadir is doing here is makes sense. Once again, he's a he's a, a good man. And we, because we experience this with him, Farhadi has us experience this traumatic thing with him, we understand his anger that will come in a moment. Everybody's anger, everybody's resentment in this movie is, is fully understandable. I mean, this is a horrific thing. We see what it does to Terme, to the daughter, the young daughter. Um, and, and the fact that Razier has tied up the old man is because she had to immediately seek attention for her own pregnancy which was uh, you know her own health situation which was dire and so in a sense you know in her in her uh anxiety over that she she had to make a choice and and she felt that tying the old man would be the safest thing for him after all he had run off so it's not a moral morally defensible thing that she'd done but it is it is rational in a sense it's internally consistent it's comprehensible that she would do that and we know that she wasn't doing it out of abject cruelty but out of necessity it was a it was a poor judgment it was a bad decision she made based out of necessity that was very important um you know who, who knows how you know, what kind of labor pain, you know, I mean, a miscarriage, you know, shit, you know, I mean, who knows what she was experiencing? The movie doesn't show us exactly, but that's another thing. I like, 
all the things that the movie doesn't show us. Um, you know, it's the scene that the scenes that weren't written or that were cut out that really make make this such. I mean, this is a movie that it's just people in a room talking the whole time, but it's it's sort of that's why it feels so breezy to me and so so easy to watch, so compulsively watchable. But that's a big thing. That, that it's, it's perfectly comprehensible why she would do that. That's not to excuse it. I'm going to drink a little bit of coffee here. It's not to excuse it, but it, it is comprehensible to me. She had a very tough decision to make. So we understand her, and in retrospect, we'll come to understand her, because at this point in the movie, we don't know that she is... We don't know why she's done this. And for a long time in the movie, we think, is she a crook or has she, is something else going on? We know something else is going on because why, why would she, why would she do that? Or why would she not leave the child to look after the old man? That seems crazy too, but, and we have the searching of the backpack there. Um, the backpack will come into play later, you know. Very, very well done. And her face. As she comes back, um, you know, it's a person with a hard life, for, for God's sake. We, at, uh, we heard in the dialogue early on just how long it takes her to come here and how the money isn't very good. And um, I like how those shots there of the hallway and into the kitchen, uh, again, you know, allows us to appreciate the dimensions here. It's a big place. It's a big apartment. It's a well-to-do couple. Not a lot of religious stuff. Uh, an Iranian person pointed that out to me. Not a lot of religious stuff on the walls here. Um, this is uh, sort of underscoring that it's a secular couple. Even even the interaction between the husband Nadir and Samin, uh, Samin, uh, his wife with the red hair. Um, even their interaction, their way of speaking to each other. Even that is. Uh, it was pointed out to me, suggestive of a more secular, Western-style marriage, uh, slightly more Western-style marriage, where the wife has some autonomy, and we notice it in the way she speaks to Nadir, as we have this very, very serious scene here. Um, we notice it in the way she speaks to him, uh, and after it was pointed out to me, I really noted the difference in the couples, the two couples in the movie, the way they interact. Um... It is a, you know, she is, uh, I don't know about the word submissive, but it is a more, wait outside, sweetie, he's still, still can't bring himself to be cruel to the child or to resent the child. The idea that the children are, are, you know, still, still not to be uh, mistreated is, I think, big in, in the, in the film. And she's going to do something here, as, and as someone of her, um, religious extraction she's going to um swear on the martyrs uh and, and so this 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 is uh also also pointed out to me very serious stuff and all the questions that were left with the audience here you know it's a very dramatic scene you know she's obviously it's important to her that she acquits herself uh or or acquits herself of, of having stolen anything. Here's the first sort of physical contact. He says, I won't touch you. Um, 
now Nadir's their Nader's um reaction here that at first he doesn't want to pay her, he will pay her. But um his anger at at you know you, you hire someone to take care of the old man who is it displeases God, that's a line. Um it's it's uh you know this isn't a funny movie but this bit always reminds me of Dr. Strangelove when uh Peter Sellers tries to open the bathroom door and Sterling Hayden uh General Jack D Ripper has killed himself in the bathroom and you don't see any of it you just see Peter Sellers in the door you know his uh, Ripper's body is up against the door this when i see this it reminds me of that <laughs> very different very different kinds of movies i understand but Perhaps it's an homage. No, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> That's why I asked you to watch him, he said. The idea that, again, once again, that um, the old man going into the bathroom while, while he was dealing with Razier by the door. Uh, I mean, what just happened there? The old man did to his son, did to Nadir and, and to Terme what what he did what he had done to Razier you turn your back for a second to take out the garbage and the old guy you think he's going to sit still he's old and sick but the the old guy runs off and sort of gets into uh you know mischief here so you understand uh Nader's anger and his he he after you hire someone to watch your dad and and they do they they do that while they go somewhere else and then uh it it perhaps understandably he's more suspicious that maybe she stole this money and we remember that we saw Samin with the money now here comes the Now that, that now that uh, the well, first time I saw the movie and I thought about what you just saw on screen there the shove um that will echo throughout the rest of the movie a little bit of uh playing with time here now she was facing the door when he shoved her now she's facing that way when she's sitting on the stairs right so it suggests although we didn't see the whole thing play out in real time it suggests that she fell as she was walking down the stairs and that when he shoved her that she may have gone back but not fallen down the stairs that that's what it suggests to me but we never we never quite know the truth we get we get everybody's version of the story but he did he did uh, first time I saw the movie I didn't remember him shoving her as hard as I now see in subsequent viewings that he did shove her this is a uh this is a scene that got to me for some reason, uh, even the first time I saw a separation. Um, and he breaks down here as he's uh, trying to clean the old guy off. Well, why would he break down? You know? It always bothers me that he's just shooting the water out into the bathroom floor. Perhaps they have it. It funnels into a drain or something. But the way he just breaks down there and, you know, we don't. Farhadi just plays it in one shot. It's it's um a rather rather matter of fact camera angle. The camera is sort of as if we're standing in the doorway observing. 
right? The idea of standing in doorways, standing in windows, again, again, is something that you see a lot of in this film. Um, it, it, it's just, you know, why is he crying there? He's crying because his wife is gone. He's crying because of this dramatic thing that just happened. He's crying because his dad is so sick and and he can't do anything about it. And he feels powerless, you know. The man of the household, and, and this was also explained to me in, uh, in uh, some Middle Eastern cultures like Iran, the man of a household is, you know, meant to, now this is the neighbor upstairs, uh, the man of the household is meant to, uh, or is expected to, you know, lead and to be the strength, the pillar of strength, and and his ability to hold his family, inability to hold his family together, his inability to even effectively arrange for the care of his father in his own house, it's, it bothers him. But it would bother a guy who's not in this culture too, I imagine. Or a, a guy or a gal. Bother anybody. It's just the the specific ways in which people process that pressure that I think comes through the filter of, of the culture in which they live. Again, uh, we have the vantage point through the doorway. We never really enter the kitchen. He's sort of still distanced from her at this time. He doesn't walk right up to her. She's... Um, and we see that Samin is sort of caring and loving too um cares about the old guy asks about him now the whole thing with the sister-in-law like the way they hired these people is through the sister-in-law and i don't know how that uh perhaps it's something that i'm just not hip to in the culture but i don't, I don't know how that plot you know i i think they just could have plot why does it have to be the sister-in-law i don't know why it's written that way but he refers to them as hiring people off the streets. So there's that, one of the less flattering dimensions of Nadir's, uh, one of the less flattering things he says about, um, you know, uh, obviously looking down on people who are not uh, in his social economic class. I mean, she is beautiful, that actress who <laughs> plays Samin. Uh, even the red hair, that, that, you know, that big flame of red hair on her head is sort of uh, not a protest against uh, the um, patriarchal culture in which she lives, but, but it, it, it's itself distinguishing her or marking her as, as someone who is more of an independent wife, someone who's more progressive. And um, one doesn't want to say that there's a tension between the old world and the new world uh, in this movie, but there's definitely a tension between a progressive conception of of even the fact that they are divorcing, right? A or or attempting to uh, on her end, uh, you know, the fact that she's up and leaving, the fact that she feels uh, empowered on some level to up and leave the country uh, with or without her family. Uh, is itself a, a uh, you know, something that Razier or a woman in her station wouldn't have as much opportunity to, you know, it's like a motive means opportunity thing. Um, 
you know, she you have the sense that she's progressive minded enough that she doesn't feel badly about it in the way that the judge at the beginning or even her husband tries to make her feel badly about wanting to leave, you know, um, and his reasons for her not wanting to go are at once sexist uh, in on some level uh, or, or at least married to sexist notions of what a wife should be. But um, on the other hand, it's perfectly reasonable. He's saying, I can't leave my father. What about our daughter? She lives here, you know. But her reasons for wanting to take the daughter out have to do with a more, obviously she wants a more progressive life for her. She says, she alludes to it at the at that opening scene. So, and that opening is, is ironic because you know, you have the, you're looking at their identification and what, what does the identification papers or ID of someone, the driver's license, what does it tell you? You know, it tells you the, the vitals about them. It tells you all the things except what it's like to be in their shoes, except, except what their life is like. It tells you their name, their address. And so we see those things being Xeroxed as if that's, that's the, the essence of these people. That's what, that's who they are in the eyes of the government. But the movie shows us differently, as as most movies do. You know, you don't you get more than just someone's name. Now, this idea of the men going off to speak while the women, uh, Congress themselves, uh, and we see the first sort of violent now now and the the headbutt there. You can really hurt someone with a headbutt, by the way. Um, his inability to keep his cool, but at the same time, we understand why he's so agitated. This is a stressful moment for him. And of course, the glass, you know, he's on the outside looking in. He's outside the glass, and these men had to break it up. It's a symmetry that I didn't really note the first time I saw the movie, but you note the symmetry that Farhadi's doing here. Um, you know, accidentally... Uh, Hojat, um, Hojat has accidentally, accidentally, I mean, he was trying to, to get to Nadir, to smack Nadir, but uh, there you have a nice shot of the bloody nose. He has accidentally given Samin a bloody nose. Uh, and perhaps just as inadvertently, uh, Nadir has pushed uh, and harmed uh, by pushing her out the door uh, as hard as he did uh, whether she landed on the stairs or landed on the banister or landed on her ass uh, he he uh, he harmed uh, another man's wife and now almost as if an inadvertent eye for an eye uh, his wife has been harmed by that other man's uh, by that other man uh, whose wife he harmed so I didn't really catch that symmetry the first time, but but there it is, right? You know, uh, in that little moment in the car, you know, he's Nadir is asking her if she wants her seat down. You know, he's sort of caring after her, and they're still married. You know, and they they still these hallway scenes are very important. I think they're they're obviously you have the visual foreshadowing of the end of the film. Um, but also, you see all of these other people, and perhaps their situations are just as dire, and they're all just kind of sitting there. We see the little girl, 
Um, you see them, some of them look crestfallen, some of them look anxious. Uh, and they're all waiting to be heard uh, in front of a judge uh, or, or some other uh, kind of um, appointment that they have here uh, to, be, to have their situation processed. And I think these are also important because, you know, there's, there's a, in terms of the way the movie builds tension, you know, there's, there's a, a tension just to these people shuffling around and moving around and, and the sort of what seems to, uh, here's our first shot of the judge. I like the actor who plays the judge a lot. There's there's a matter of factness or a informality. What appears to us in in Western society, or especially in the United States where I am, it appears to us to be an informality in in the law. But uh, I can begin explaining here the Iranian legal system, what I know of it, and how it's different from uh, our legal system. It's different in a great many ways. And again, in Kerastami's uh, movie Close Up you you really see another another dimension to uh, the Iranian legal system now and at this point and we never really know was it the accident that caused the miscarriage or or was it the fall down the stairs or was it the labor she had been contracted to do or did it just happen you know how much does that matter uh, you, when it comes down to it, this the, the personal beefs that are going on between these two families. Um, it's at once important and not important. Now, it's understandable what he's saying here. You know, men can be knuckleheads and, you know, maybe he didn't notice she's pregnant. Maybe she, maybe, you know, she's wearing the full guard, the Shador. There, he called it a Shador. I apologize for not naming it correctly. Um... And, and there's his, his naivete at being sort of bourgeoisie, right? I didn't think a pregnant woman would come for this kind of work. Well, guess what? Uh, not everybody is of your, of your station. Not everybody has financial uh, security to the extent you have it. Now, here's the big boom that the judge lays down in his casual way. Uh, uh, Oh, the, the system that you're seeing here, uh, to Americans uh, specifically, I, I remember at a screening, you know, people talking about it afterwards, they, they, they just couldn't process, they couldn't believe that the, you know, again, what appears to be informality. Yeah, this is a very heavy scene. Um, what appears to be informality in their legal system is... It is informal in a sense, but it has to do with the way it's it's structured foundationally. Um, what you're seeing here in the Iranian legal system and what's going on is um, an inquis is called an inquisitional system uh, of uh, of uh, cor a court system uh, is is structured inquisitionally rather than as we have in the United States adversarially. And there are pros and cons to both. Uh, if you're not familiar, the American legal system is structured adver adversarially. So 
in a criminal matter, if you are charged or you have a list of charges that a prosecutor is bringing against you, you can retain counsel or represent yourself and you uh, are the defense and you get to defend yourself against those charges and the state, represented by a prosecutor, um, makes the best argument they can based on the evidence. Evidence comes from the witness stand or via exhibits, documents or artifacts that can be examined. Um, based on the evidence, they make arguments, they make their best arguments as to why you did it or why you should be found guilty. Um, they don't have to prove motive. They just have to prove... Uh, you know that to the satisfaction to the satisfaction uh, they have to prove um, beyond a reasonable doubt to the satisfaction of the trier of fact so the trier of fact can be a a jury or it can be she's going to check on her child that's important um, the trier of fact can be a jury or a judge or a grand jury and so you have two sides in an adversarial legal system, and they hack it out. And the philosophy there is that somehow if both sides make their best argument, first of all, both sides get to be heard. Um, and, it, you know, both sides get to, get to have a neutral trier of fact to judge, a grand jury, a jury, hear the evidence, hear the arguments, and make an objective, uh, quote-unquote, objective determination of, of to whether or not the person should be convicted. Uh, we say uh, guilty or not guilty in the United States system. Uh, in the Scottish system, in Scotland, they have uh, proven or not proven, which I always felt was a, a much better way of approaching uh, uh, evidence-based rationality, which is how you're supposed to supposed to arrive at a verdict. But um, an adversarial system is very contentious and very... Uh, it can be very argumentative and and is flawed in many ways, uh, but great in many other ways. An inquisitional system, which what you, which is I love that little moment with this man who could be a criminal or could be you know someone in a similar situation, winking or or making a face at the little girl. Um, we have a sense for her for her cluelessness about the stakes and what's going on. Now, uh, what you're seeing here and what we'll see more of is the inquisitional system of law, that, of courts, that you have in, Iranian, in, in Iran. An inquisitional system, uh, I mean, obviously there are two sides. There are Hojat's family and Nader's family, and the judge sits at a, a desk sort of like a school principal rather than uh, on a... On a, a raised bench uh although they do have they did have uh, i don't know if they still do they had raised benches and judges robes in iran uh for some time i don't know if it's a post-revolution thing or what um so the in an inquisitional system you're tr the judge has absolute power um the judge is not only the trier of fact but he is also as you see in these scenes he is also kind of the lead investigator. I mean, the police can investigate. The police can... You see this moment of empathy that Razier has. Where this man who meant her no harm and she meant him no harm when it comes down to it, but somehow we, we got here, you know. The way 
the way resentment and, and harm in life can snowball. Um, and the, the utter um, lack of sympathy that the state represented by the judge here has for the particulars of someone's life, the particular difficulties of someone's life. And then Hojats regards him too. Uh, you know, you, you remember they're both fathers. And you have this sort of agonized uh, phone message. So the judge has absolute power in the inquisitional system. It's it's um, uh, not so much a judge, jury, and executioner thing, but, but the big thing is that he's also... Uh, uh, an investigator in the adversarial system in American jurisprudence, you have uh, the prosecutors and the police do the investigating. They bring forth the evidence and the judge just is basically at trial and, and at hearings and at arraignments uh, just to make sure that things are the law is executed or, or um, the, to make certain determinations to, to, to make certain judgments <laughs> and, um, and to make sure things go smoothly and fairly. That's, that's what judges are for. In the states here, um, they don't produce evidence. Um, no judge is uh, going around or calling witnesses. Um, that's for the prosecution or defense to in a criminal matter. Um, uh, judges have discretion for compelling testimony or or bringing people forth for a for a civil or a criminal matter. Uh, they have discretion to do things like that, but really it's not their job to produce evidence or witnesses or anything like that. Um, their job is to uh, make narrow determinations during a trial or something or, or to, to um, uh, decide upon motions whether or not things are uh, permissible or not permissible. Again, both sides making the argument, objection, you know, we always hear objection, your honor, sustained, overruled. Uh, uh, that's that's the the essence of what judges are supposed to do, at least in criminal matters, family court, things like that, things like like you'd see a situation in a separation, um, and it's all one situation. You notice in the inquisitional system, here she is again crying, and instead of her husband, she has her grandfather at her side, or her rather her father-in-law. I, and again, I love that we don't get a cut-in close-up, we don't see the tear drop. You know, she we just note that she's emotional. And we see it from the old man's point of view. And in a way, we're just as kind of wondering what's going on as he is. You know, this this movie is a slow boil. And uh, things come out at, almost at the last possible moment that, uh, that, you know, it's only until we absolutely need to know a bit of information that, that it pops up. <laughs> I love this young soldier or this young uh, police officer who must escort uh, Nader. This would never happen in the States, right? The cop would, it would be two cops. And, the, you know, so that so this sort of, um, one doesn't want to say minimum security of way of handling prisoners, but this sort of, um, yeah, just get one guy, cuff him to you, you know, I mean. Uh, another difference in Iranian culture uh, from, say, American culture, which is what I can speak to. Just to finish thoughts on the on the legal system difference, I think um, I'm not as alarmed as other people were by the Iranian system. I, I think it 
you know, it's much, it's much speedier, even though you have this many people waiting <laughs> in the hallway. It does seem to be much speedier than our system. See, uh, what I was going to say is that uh, as we see um, Simin come back here into, into the scene, um, what I was going to say is, is that it's all you notice in a separation. It's all one matter before this judge. This judge is is deciding, uh, and I'll talk about blood money. Uh, blood money is a real thing in, in an Iranian uh, law. Uh, if you cause, you know, we would call it wrongful death or murder or manslaughter. Uh, and those are very clearly defined things. But uh, if you cause the death of someone accidentally, you know, you they literally call it blood money. And uh, that'll come up later. Now here we see Samin saying, not telling anyone to lie, not telling her colleague to lie, you should be truthful. Mrs. Lavasani, I always like how Iranian names seem to resemble Romanian names or Italian names. And now she is rehashing a scene that we saw play out, but that we, it was not flagged for us that we should be paying attention uh, to these little things, to the nuances of who saw what and who who noticed what and wh and was he close enough to overhear the conversation? The place is certainly big enough to where perhaps he didn't overhear it, but um, you know we we weren't told <laughs> that we should be watching. Uh, that closely and so it just blew by and now we, we have to think back and search our own memory and so the imperfection of our own memory as a viewer is is, is called into question here uh, just as, as the memories of the characters are, are called into question and the immediacy of all this is what um, I mean I, I saw this movie with audiences a couple times and just the immediacy of all this was just gripping to people. There were people there who didn't like foreign movies, didn't like reading subtitles, and they were just on the edge of their seat. Um, and you see the crack there. Uh, I always laugh. He, he accuses Nadir of basically atheism. <laughs> you know, uh, the insult is, you know, as if you believe in God. So, so we're reminded that this is a theocratic system as well. Uh, uh, church and state are one thing, and... and um, there is secular law in Iran, and there is Islamic law. I love this little bit with the, the, the T. Uh, there is secular law, there is Islamic law, and, and uh, the judge there is, is an arbiter of both. He has both on his plate. He has both on his mind. And uh, certain things will have to do more with Islamic law. Certain things will have more to do with... Uh, people throw around that word uh, Sharia law, and um, my understanding is that uh, that actually wouldn't be in play here uh, in the conception of Sharia that is had in, in uh, Islamic, or rather in Iranian culture. Um, that it's not so much a Sharia thing, but just general Islamic law principles that are used with the secular laws to arrive at decisions by the judge. Yeah, so it's all one matter. So you notice that um, the matter of did she chain this old guy up to a bed and abandon him, causing him harm, that would be, that could, in our system, in the United States, that could be a criminal matter and it could be a civil matter. Um, you could sue someone for doing that. Um, 
and you could have them brought up on charge, or they could be brought up on charges, criminal charges for that. So there's two branches right there, kind of, right? Um, and now he's going, uh, he tells him not to repeat everything. So, so that's two things right there. Um, now, as a separate thing altogether, did she steal from him? Okay, well, that, that's, that's a separate allegation. That's a separate, almost a separate investigation. Um, did his negligence or his, his violence, did he cause uh, her harm uh, to lose the pregnancy? Um, that is a separate criminal matter. It could be a, a civil. I could see how that could be a civil matter. Um, you know, did, uh, <laughs> did uh, should they get a divorce? You know, that's that's a different matter. These would all be different court matters, possibly brought before different judges. You know, the judges who arraign someone for a criminal matter uh, could could um, could be different from the judge who who uh, who uh, presides over the trial. Okay. Um, all of these things are, are one big bundle of, of bullshit that this judge, this poor guy, who uh, we're not allowed to totally hate him. You know, we have these little moments of contemplation. That's all Farhadi gives us, these little moments of contemplation that he does. And, and uh, we see him sipping his tea and we realize, okay, you know what? He might not, he might seem like he's... Um, detached and disinterested in, in the inner lives of these people and their struggles, but um, he has a hard job too. You know, he's not just... And we see, we see again, the insult that, that causes the arrest here is you should fear God, implying that, implying that God is, is uh, not pleased by the judge's actions here. Now, now if you said that, Theoretically, if you said that to an American judge, uh, even though we still have people swearing on Bibles, and although you can in most jurisdictions uh, opt to affirm a secular oath, uh, but um, you know that because Islamic law is in play here, that's that's a that's a very it's important what uh, Hojat is saying here as he's escorted out. Um, but that judge is is. You know, we're never allowed to totally hate him, and he's got this whole bundle of bullshit in front of him. It's all one thing that he has to investigate. This whole drama is his job to investigate. And then the, yeah, we see we have this moment. And the mercy, the plead for mercy on the judge so that he isn't incarcerated is going to come from both his wife and, and Nader. Nader. It's a very, you know, we're just just when you start to take one character's side, something else happens. Now we hear this background, um, and it doesn't seem like exposition because this is the kind of quote-unquote exposition that people would say to a judge in this situation. Look, 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 look at all these medicines. Look, 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 he, he's, he, he's, he can't be incarcerated. He's been in and out of debtor's prison, and then she cries, and, 
And so Nadir says that uh, that can't you just let it can't can't tells the judge can't you just let it go. The idea that they would be in a judge's face for one thing, uh, you know. And again, it's the judges. It's it looks like they've been sent to the principal's office. Uh, you know, compared to the way people have to address judges and speak to judges in the states. I mean, they wouldn't even be talking to the judge. Um, in the states, uh, uh, they would have a, a counsel uh, usually who would do that in all these separate matters. So, it, if you wonder why courts are clogged in the United States, it, it, in Iranian court, this is all one bundle of thing, and one judge has to sort through it. Poor guy. But uh, <laughs> this is a funny little gag here. You see how young that soldier or or police officer is. It's very poignant. So that's enough uh, for now about um, legal systems. Uh, I was a law school dropout. Um, but I find that really uh, a fun thing to just, you know, just looking at the legal versus, you know, the way these different societies might sort through problems like this. In American courts, our courts are so clogged because if you look at the problems these two families are having between them, in this movie, that's like six different court proceedings, you know. And um, if someone's been arrested for contempt of court or something, begging the judge to let him go is usually not going to work. If you can get to the judge, right? If you, I mean, if you can get an audience with a judge. Um, but yeah, this would be like this would be like six, seven different court cases. Now we haven't started to see that that tapered tapering down of the shaky cam stuff, um, which I've promised. But uh, do try to note that as uh, as the movie sort of progresses, and we we start to see more static shots, and we start to see more. I don't want to say traditional compositions. Well, and and I guess it makes sense because there's a lot less. Um, uh, going from here to there movement uh, in the latter half of the movie, say. There's much more, um, you know, lower energy conversations and, and um, moving to and fro is much more um, uh, sporadic. The fact that he dresses the old man in a in a tie, a shirt and tie, a suit and tie, is uh, something I never thought about until recently, but that too is sort of, you know, the way people are dressed has such meaning in a way that, uh, and I, I apologize for all the comparisons to American culture, it's the only frame of reference I have, and I, and I do find these comparisons uh, potentially interesting, you know, but, uh, the way people dress and what that clothing means about them, um, is in, in every culture, it's different, but in Iranian culture, it has a very specific, you know, if, if a woman is wearing, um, a full Shador as, as Razier is, that means something about her that people are, uh, not, not unreasonable to conclude. Uh, and she's signaling uh, her religious allegiance uh, as particularly devout, perhaps. 
Um, so, so as I view this shirt and tie, um, I, I think that, you know, it is, it is very, you know, a shirt and tie like that is sort of a Western way of dressing his father, but, but also almost a protestation against his illness. You know, if I can walk the old man out dressed to the nines or dressed like a businessman, perhaps he'll, he'll, uh, people will not notice he's ill or. Perhaps it'll jog his memory. Perhaps the old man was a businessman, you know. Perhaps it'll jog his memory and somehow he'll snap out of it, you know. Um, now, this is a fascinating little scene. I read a review. I can't remember who it was, but it was a prominent critic who said that um, Terme, the daughter, should be a, would make a great judge. And, of course, again, she's played by the director's daughter. Uh, Asghar Farhadi's daughter, um, that she should be a judge because she's so good at the way she interrogates her dad there. And the scene isn't over, of course, as he's coming toward her now. But um, he's going to sort of... I love the way this is done here. Um, now, it looked like... Maybe I was wrong. It looked like she was facing him when, when he pushed her. And what he's saying here is quite sensible. Um, he pushed her good and hard, it appeared to me. But, and he appeared to push her in the direction that his hands are indicating right now. Right? But, you know, being pushed when you're pregnant is not, I mean, your center of gravity is kind of, uh, <laughs> it could be anywhere at any given time, right? <laughs> and so it's conceivable that she tried to get, you know, that, her falling on the stairs, if she fell on the stairs, it's conceivable that, you know, maybe it did have something to do with being pushed, even though it was, even if it wasn't all one motion, let's say. This moment is really great. Yeah, that little cut there, that's fantastic. The movie doesn't do things like that, except for that moment, you know. It doesn't do flashy editing tricks like that, except for there. And of course... It makes perfect sense to do it there. You know, Farhadi really, you know, that's the one moment of filmmaking where you notice the filmmaking, uh, one of the very few moments anyway. Um, and again, the nonchalant way that the investigation is, is taking place here, um, the way that Nadir um, is allowed to demonstrate and and the way the two sides are allowed to argue the points uh, in the presence of the police, this would be handled very differently <laughs> in the States. I mean, no, you know, the, the police, all right, shut up, everybody, shut up. You know, the police don't need the, the parties there, uh, frankly. The police, the police figure it out for themselves and draw their own conclusions and interview witnesses privately where they can't be influenced by the parties. Um, so this is a very, very different way of settling disputes and, dis and assigning responsibility and, and culpability. Uh, and it, it is jarring to uh, people who um, are not of that culture. I love that the movie rehashes things that we've seen in its first 40 minutes, you know, things that we saw. Uh, it, it makes us remember them and relive them, and and it's just 
It's just totally artful the way it doesn't. I mean, this movie, I mentioned that it was my best film of 2011. I don't think this movie, uh, you know, unlike The Tree of Life, which is a movie that I uh, ultimately liked and I recognize it as a, a classic and a, a true, uh, you know, a great, a great movie. But it, it was very disappointing to me uh, in many ways and kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I, I, nonetheless, it's gorgeous, um, gorgeously conceived, too. But unlike The Tree of Life, I mean, I think this movie, you know, there's, yeah, I can't find very much that anybody could really um, say doesn't work. Perhaps the withholding of the key, the key piece of information. But... Um, I mean, this movie is so observant about the good in everyone, you know, that I just... This little thing, my mommy didn't take your money. And the backpack comes back, right? He he, he puts, puts it in. You know, this sort of way of relating to someone else's child and um, the, the sort of... Uh, I, I've been advised that this is something in, in Middle East cu culture broadly, that this sort of um, appreciation for all children, not just your children, and, and a tenderness toward children, not just not just your children, um, a sort of community-focused, uh, community uh, sort of like Hillary Clinton's It Takes a Village, a sort of community shaped idea of how to care for children and how children should be treated there's your director uh playing the doctor uh mr farhadi um he plays the physician there who was on the phone so what, what's going on here is a plot point in case you need um, refreshing is that um this is a a court-ordered examination to to um ascertain uh, the the nature of the bruising on the old man's arm and and the extent to which that was caused by being tied up and it's sort of a weird plot point because the existence of a bruise uh maybe it has to do with the, another difference between their system and ours but the, the existence of a bruise does not first of all it's been some time since the incident uh several days at least but uh, in the world of the movie but but it doesn't indicate any it doesn't have anything to do with the fact of the matter that he was tied up. I mean, what if what if his being tied up hadn't caused a bruise? Does that not? I mean, uh, so it it's it's a weird thing for me, but but it gives you that nice moment where he decides that no, I'm not going to allow my dad to be examined. I'm not going to almost like I'm not going to I'm not going to make him suffer any more indignities, even if it's going to help my cause in getting getting uh found innocent uh, i'm not gonna no more indignity for him now even this the whole idea uh now this is this is not like at the apartment where it was part of the investigation the whole idea here is that this is an exceptional situation is that this is an, an amazing situation this is not something that happens every day in iran uh that's the point of the scene is that uh hojat uh the hot hot tempered um, uh, father who's just lost his unborn kid and who is understandably distraught and has all kinds of other debt and, and problems in his life has shown up to the school and uh, wants Mrs. Lavasani to 
swear on the Quran, on the, on the Holy Quran, that she was telling the truth. Now that, see, that, that line he says, tell your husband not to make me do something crazy, despite his hot-temperedness, he mentions that he's unemployed, despite his hot-temperedness, it doesn't, I don't know if Farhadi wants that to play as foreboding or wants to, wants us to be, oh, he might do something, but at this point in the movie, we know so much about these people and that they are fundamentally good people, all of them, that it just doesn't, it just doesn't trouble me. Maybe it just, maybe it's just a weird line that a man like him would say, and so there's a, there's a truth to it. But it doesn't, you know, I, the first time I saw the movie, I knew that, I knew that Hojat wouldn't, well, partially because it's not that kind of movie, but I knew Hojat wouldn't, wouldn't hurt anyone, wouldn't do anything stupid, as he says. Um, I felt like I knew anyway. I was happy to be vindicated by Farhadi's script. <laughs> but, um, that whole business of swearing on the, on the Quran, uh, to prove one's veracity. Um, he shows up with the Holy Quran in his hand. Um, you know, Western audiences can look at that. You know, I say this to someone who's not at all religious and, you know, sort of <laughs> a disinterested atheist. <laughs> you know, I, 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 uh, I recognize that we do that to each other all the time, uh, probably in all cultures. Um, uh, I swear on my child's life, I swear to God, and somehow this swearing on something that you care about deeply would, if you were lying, it would, it would violate, not just violate your honor, uh, I love that she's smoking there, um, <laughs> it wouldn't just violate your honor, but it would somehow, and we have this coming up in the movie, where the idea that if, um, Razier feels that if she holds this lie in, if she if she doesn't tell the whole truth, that something will happen to her child. Of course, the little girl, uh, the adorable little girl in the movie. Um, she feels that um, presumably um, uh, God, Allah, will um, visit uh, suffering or or harm upon her child, um, and that she can't abide be because she's done something wrong or because she's done something immoral. Uh, or something against the scriptures. Um, so we see religion being, a, frankly, a destructive force in people's lives, but we also see the way in which it, it compelled a good woman to do what I would argue she knew was the right thing anyway, with or without religion. You know uh, most people realize that being truthful and not... Harming other people is is a good thing, but but uh, we see the way in which her her religious devotion compels her to do the right thing. I would I think it's unfortunate and sort of disgusting that it you know um, there is this religious teaching that uh, if you fuck up, uh, you know uh, it'll be visited ten you know the punishment will be visited tenfold upon your kid, you know. Um, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of fucked up and fear-based, but, uh, nonetheless, you can say that, um, that the, her religious conviction, uh, compelled her ultimately to be truthful, uh, when we get to that scene. This is a very good scene for the actor who plays, um, 
Simin and the actor who plays Nadir. Uh, Leela Hatami is uh, Simin, and uh, Nader is uh, Payman Mahdi. Um, she is like uh, quite striking, isn't she? And again, they, the we see the way that this couple argues as equal as sort of um she is not taking a back seat in this marriage they are still married um uh, you know she is not um the woman and in her place and submitting to him and he is not alarmed by her refusal to be a, a second class citizen in the marriage you notice that he he um, you know, despite some lingering attitudes about uh, a woman's place and yada yada yada, uh, that that the character might or might not have, he treats her like an intellectual equal. He's not telling her, uh, "You're my wife. You should just have my back. You should back me in this matter. You should not be. You should not be. Uh, you shouldn't be yelling at me. You shouldn't be. You know. I mean, this is an attitude that." Uh, uh, once again, just uh, as a disclaimer, this is an attitude that people have in the States and in Canada and everywhere else, but but uh, in the Middle East, perhaps it, it, it is uh, also common <laughs> and, and, uh, and uh, somewhat uh, faith-based in some, in some uh, situations, perhaps. And uh, it's very telling to me in that argument that, that he doesn't do that to her, right? He doesn't, he doesn't say, you should just have my back. You're the woman. And if I tell you you're not going to leave, by the way, you're not going to divorce, you're not getting a divorce. So sit down and cook my dinner. You know, he he treats her like an intellectual equal. Um, uh, and in other ways, he condescends to her. But fundamentally, I think you see in the way they argue, <laughs> it comes out in the way they argue that he has that, you know, and, and by the way, she seems to be his intellectual equal and he seems to be her intellectually. I mean, you see that they're both kind of sharp and um, analytical. Um, and so we have this moment where the little girl is, uh, or Terme is completely hip to everything. You know, she's saying, how did you know the number? How did you hear that if you didn't hear this? You know, she she pieces it together rationally. And he changes the subject. So he kind of pulls rank here as her father, you know. Um, well, that's the other thing with the gender thing in the movie. Um, it's very important that this is his daughter, you know, that, that this is not a son, that, that, that he is interested in her education and her... And her uh, achieving and being uh, presumably being a professional like her mother is a working professional you know he's an interested in her you know that he's an interested in her being a good Muslim wife so much as he, he wants her to be well-rounded and you know so this is uh, Nader is a very complex uh, probably the most complex character in the movie to me next to his own daughter because his motivations are almost never fully clear her motivations I get right I I get Terme now that's fascinating to me and I've I've repeated that line to people um I knew she was pregnant but at that moment I didn't 
right? This is exactly what happens in life. Look, I, I knew I wasn't supposed to do something, but I did it because, and he says the law doesn't care about this, which is true. And it isn't. Um, the law doesn't care because the law is a blunt instrument and it's hard to demonstrate it. And you can only demonstrate it in certain ways and um, your word isn't good enough. He does something really destructive to a relationship here. And, and um, I don't know if the movie wants us to pass judgment on him. It's hard to pass judgment on any of the characters. But I think it's really rotten what he says to his daughter at the end there. Well, I mean, I'm engaging the movie the way it's meant to be engaged, right? I'm, 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 I'm analyzing uh, what's going on, but, but uh, I don't. I find it pretty. He puts it on her. He says, "Look, if you want me to, to come forward and and tell them what you already know, tell the truth about this, and the fact that I did kind of know she was pregnant, but in the moment I forgot. If you want me to do it, I'll do it." He tells his preteen daughter. Um, you can't put that on a child, you know? I mean, she's a, she's as sharp as a fucking tack, that kid. Uh, uh, but you can't put that on her. And that's not right. That, that's one of the more alarming things he does to me. I mean, uh, along with, um, sort of shoving anyone, let alone a pregnant person. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, but I recognize that the character is, you know, imperfect. He's, I mean, imperfect people are going to do um, destructive things like that. It's a bit, I mean, very, I mean, I'm not a psychoanalyst, but it's, it seems very destructive to the, to the relationship of a, a parent has to a child to, to kind of make the child decide what's going to happen in a matter of such importance. We see the way in which this movie, and this is a point I wanted to make, Now this, oh, by the way, this whole sequence reminds me of the beginning of the Kiarostami movie, uh, Close Up, uh, where you have characters in a car. But, oh, there's another movie uh, by Jafar Panahi called The Mirror, in which a little girl, that that's why it reminds me of this movie, because you also have a, a little girl in it who... Um, they forget to uh, her her guardians or parents forget to pick her up from school and she has this adventure and it's sort of a movie within a movie and you're never quite sure where it goes and and um, it ends at this wonderful point of strangeness um though that if you're looking uh, for to discover Iranian cinema uh those are a couple movies that might be a good place to start and so we have another piece of information that we got off screen uh, or that that happened off screen and it comes as a blow to us just as we get it just when Nader gets it. The fact that Mrs. Lavasani, the tutor, revoked her testimony. And now we see the judge is sort of simpatico with the daughter, right? The judge and the daughter are seeing this, uh, at least this question of, the the father's knowledge of the pregnancy of Nader's knowledge of of the pregnancy they uh they know exactly the same thing in a, in a lot of ways it's Nader's movie because uh at least for the first two-thirds of it because we we sort of learn things as he learns them and you know that's another bit of information there about um the the revocation of that testimony 
But in doing so, she, she did the right thing, right? She, she wanted to tell the truth. The judge has a face, by the way. One of the reasons it's the performance, but it's just the face. You know, a actor's best asset sometimes is just their mug. And he, he has this kind of face that is lovable. Now we see Terme. Now this is a very key moment for her, especially given the end, because she's going to be facing a judge at the end of the movie, as we know. Did you tell your dad or did he hear it? Yeah, that's... Now, does she... Now, <laughs> at this point in the movie, you're thinking, did she do the right thing? Did she do a bad thing? What is the right thing? Because when you look at a situation narrowly, yeah, that's this is the one time where... Or, or, or I mean, that, oh, well, that's where we get that close-up of a tear dropping. But that's a little bit of foreshadowing too to the end, I think, where we have poor Terme in tears again. When you look at something narrowly, you say it's kind of easier to see what the right thing is. But when you look at this whole story that's unfolded, this broad story, did she do the right thing or the wrong thing? It becomes a little bit hairier of an issue. Now, this is a key moment, too. It was pointed out to me. Uh, well, I think I was kind of hip to it to begin with. But um, and we have him asserting um, himself as a dignified person. Uh, he thinks that they they don't think much of him. Uh, Hojat, that is. But it was pointed out to me, and I, I think I already kind of realized it, that, that this is key because the class distinction is also emphasized by the fact that the negotiation, essentially, that's taking place here is between, you know, Semin is Semin, the woman, <clears throat> uh, um, comes to, to offer this negotiation, to, or to, to, to negotiate uh, rather than her husband. There's a line earlier where Hojat says, how could you give my wife a job without talking to her husband? Um, well, it didn't occur to Nader to talk to this woman's husband because perhaps he has a, a more, uh, what I would regard as an enlightened view or a more progressive view of a, a woman's, um, a woman not being property <laughs> to her husband. Uh I love that she's wearing jeans here. That's very great. That's <laughs> it's kind of kind of weird, actually, that just to see a character in jeans like that, a woman too. It just kind of again emphasizes her independence, emphasizes her westernness. But at the same time, she has the the um, what ignorant westerners like me call the headscarf. Um, so she's she's straddling both both worlds. She's straddling old and new, west and east, and Middle East.
So at the beginning, we see Samine leaving, and and she wants to take her daughter. Uh, she doesn't want to live here, and, and she cares for her daughter, and we really see that um, emphasized there. She has that moment where it's clear that both these parents love the kid. You know, what's wrong is not a lack of, of love or familial obligation, right? What's wrong with these characters is not that they're cruel or that they don't know how to love or that they're uh, vengeful. Um, there is nothing wrong with these characters. They are people as people really are. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the movie is that it, it gives us characters and tells, and like at the beginning, puts us in the position to judge them, uh, almost literally, invites us to pass judgment, and then creates a, a narrative where we just, if you're really appreciating the characters, it's just impossible to judge them. It's just impossible to, to uh, condemn any of these, any of these people. Now we have the the dowry, the mention of the dowry there. Um, this is so fascinating to me that she says our child is going through adolescence. And Nadir says what he just said there. Um, that if you cared, you'd stay. And... There you have it. That that's that's the um Oh but boy, Machiavellian is not the word. Uh I was about to say Machiavellian. That's the uh the smarts of Terme, right? Uh, it, it's Samin gets it. And Nadir didn't get it before. But Samin gets it. Samin is like um idiot. Don't you know why Terme you think she chose you? She doesn't want to choose anybody. She wants us to stay. She knew that I wouldn't go without her. And, uh, and you know, it, it's it's crazy because I do get the sense that Nader didn't didn't fully get that <laughs> before. Not because he's, you know, not bond. Um, you know, a good parent is really kind of connected to their kid, and uh, it's not that he's not connected to this kid. It's that he's just kind of. You know, I mean, men can be doofuses, you know, we're, we're just kind of, you know, it's just, he probably figured, oh, well, she chose me, see? I mean, it, I could easily see anybody making that assumption, man or woman, I'm just saying, we can be doofuses. Oh, by the way, uh, people people say different things, you know, because people have asked how rich this family is, and 15 million is like, so the exchange rate, fifteen million, is not fifteen. Is not like fifteen million in American dollars. Fifteen. I mean, I I actually saw a review that had the exact conversion on it. It wasn't a review. It was just something talking about the movie. And um, it's it's not. It's a substantial amount of money. Uh, but she, you get a sense for it. And I think maybe they were thinking about foreign audiences a little bit. Um, because, you know, she's so good here, this young actress. I think they were thinking about foreign audiences because 
She mentions she'll sell her car. Samin says, I'll sell my car to pay the blood money. And um, so we think about what a car is worth. A used car in nice condition like her car is. Very nice white car that she drives. And so we have a sense for approximately the level of, of money we're talking about here. Blood money. Again, a very real thing in in Iranian uh, jurisprudence or law. Um, now, this is a good example here of screenwriting and a movie that really pays attention to itself. And and uh, I wish I always wish I could talk to Farhadi about uh, Farhadi about how he how he approached writing the sort of home stretch of the movie, which we're kind of into here, um, especially this moment um, where. We think that Terme is leaving. And it's this suspenseful thing where... Again, he... Uh, Nader sort of passes the buck. You know, he, he, he says, okay, if this... If, if you want this, I'll do it. You know, I'll do the right thing if you do... You know, he's very... Um, you, you, you want to say pride or whatever he doesn't want he's very uncomfortable saying what he I don't know if you want to call it vulnerability but he, he's very uncomfortable saying I want your mom to stay and then we hear of course that she had her things in the car she wanted to come back is what Terme will will say That looks like magic hour there. Let's see. Yeah, now, um, the movie I mentioned, the Panahi movie, The Mirror, has a young girl about that age, a little chubbier. Uh, she was a cutie, too, but she has a backpack, and she's sort of walking around as the scene you just got there of them sort of walking from a bus. And that's kind of... It's almost the same image as we have in Panahi's movie, The Mirror. Not to be confused with them. the uh, Tarkovsky movie, The Mirror. I love what she's sketching there with that red um, drawing with that red marker on the, on the you know, it, it looked like her mom in, in the Shador. So here we get the confession. Or if you want to call it a confession, or she comes clean, um, and even her, as I alluded to before, even her motivations for coming clean are not something that we can just put in a box and label simply. Uh, not something that we can get away with not wrestling with. Um, again, her motivations will hear in this scene. Very interesting. It happens in this sort of, um, sort of like an after-school discussion where she's in the in the seat that um, Samin's student students are in, and we hear that he's going to pay off the creditors. Um, uh, she's gonna she's gonna say it here that her motivation is. She says it's my fault, which I think is probably 
I don't know if she should say that as a character, but um, she sort of confesses that, um, look, if I take this money, so we have this wonderful catch-22 that flows perfectly and rationally from all the events in the movie to this point. Uh, I again think of the movie Chinatown, where everything that's happened in the movie sort of leads to that moment at the end. But um, she thinks that, hey, this is a sin. If I sin, if I take this money from you, I, something's going to happen. You know, I believe that something's going to happen to my kid, and I can't, I can't bear that. But if they don't pay, uh, or if Zamin's family doesn't pay, that's a that's an, a whole other set of problems. So it's problems, you know, sort of problems all the way down, turtles all the way down, problems all the way down. This is this is shot fascinates me there with the flags outside, and she's dressing to leave, putting on her headscarf. Um, oh, that's a nice little. Uh, match cut almost where she's putting hers on in her classroom and and uh, Razier is putting her her um, clothing or the head clothing on in the in the uh, in her kitchen sort of both in their environments uh, the domestic environment for Razier and the professional environment for Simin never noticed that it is kind of a match cut Now, the fact that um, the parties would be doing this without a lawyer and, and, and this settlement would be taking place informally in the home like this is quite, you know, a big difference between how a settlement would be arrived at in a lot of jurisdictions. And by the way, it's not just the West. There are jurisdictions in the Islamic or, or in the Middle East that um, are, you know, have something much more like uh, the Western style. It's nice that the kids were playing together again. They were probably happy to see each other, you know. It's just that it's a nice, those nice little touches, you know. Um Terme was being a kid outside there for a minute before before she was called back in to be part of it. I mean, really, the kids shouldn't be there, right? But, but uh, or maybe, you know, maybe that's an insensitivity on my part because in, uh, in s s many cultures, you know, the whole family is in on on um, big things, you know, and you have, ex I don't know if those are creditors there or extended family people, but, um, you know, the, things are handled in a familial way. Hence the, a society more inclined to the inquisitional style of law. I'd never seen, a, you know, and I, at the time I saw this, and this is a very, harrowing scene just that shot of the sink there um i think this is a one or two um it just tells you the kind of life they have compared to the life zamin and nader's family have
Yeah, I'd never I'd never seen a movie that Well, I, I have seen movies that have been good in this way. But I, I remember the first time I was exposed to it on screen, I mean, I never saw something that was so uh, about relationships um, and about just people um, working through a very basic set of problems. I don't mean that the problems aren't uncomplicated, but the problems are very basic in that they're very close to the ground. They're about a sick father and who's responsible for um, a bad thing that happened with a pregnancy. And, you know, the, the, these are very personal, close to the ground problems. And let's go, it'll be my sin. Now, that was a laugh line in the couple of public screenings I went to. And uh, and I think it's meant to be. I think I think that is a, a it's well played by the actor because then we're going to get this and it's going to it's going to flip us so that we experience a range of emotions in this scene. Uh, full range of emotions in this scene. You know, we, we laugh and we almost cry as he hits himself and we, the, the sort of self-flagellation aspect of him. Um, yeah, th this is really... Again, the window. Again, these glass. I mean, it's very matter of fact, again, but the, the fact that these are glass doors, the fact that these are windows, we're looking out. Um, the fact that the the family has, you know, before we were at the other residence and now Samin and Nader have invaded this residence, so to speak. Hmm. Now I don't know I don't know what they how they directed the little girl there. Uh but that was a very uh sort of let the right one in kind of face she was making. <laughs> that that looked more like a glower than a a sad look. But uh you know, d directing children is undoubtedly hard. Now this whole thing that that he smashes the glass um the the windshield um, presumably with something, some kind of bat or pipe or something, is it's a big, a big hole. It's almost like he may have thrown a brick. Um, that that struck me as like, oh, what a strange thing to include. Like him, him just leaving the place after, you know, uh, Hojat just leave storming off is, I think, would do it. But then I realized, like, uh. Oh, yeah, no, the car. They were going to sell the car, and now the car... But Hojat didn't know that, but... Uh, or presumably didn't know that, but like... Oh, yeah, okay, now the car... So the car is... It just, again, uh, paying attention to itself. So it's a little less... It's a little bit of a thinner crowd here. You notice at this last sequence, and um, and the the camera work is a little bit, um, you know, this has been one take since she got up, or we haven't had a cut, and 
I, I think that before when we were in this environment, we were had a little bit quicker editing. And so I think this is, yeah, and see, we're holding, this appears to be handheld, but we see we're sort of, we're going to hold on her here. And that's just, uh, you had it when they were having the powwow meeting at, uh, when they were about to sign the checks, provided um, she swear on the Quran, um, you had sort of static shots and more uh, less less uh, camera movement here. So again, Farhadi's daughter is. Um, because you hear that a director has cast his daughter in a very pivotal role in a very good movie and serious movie like this. And you have all kinds of ideas about what that might be like. Um, but I just can't believe how good um, she is. And by the way, the adult actors in this scene uh, uh, are also uh, both dressed in black. Um, they're also very... Um, you know, I, I like how they kind of hang back and just they act like real parents, kind of, <laughs> who would be in this situation. So um, she she doesn't want to make the decision with them in the room. She wants, she's faced with the same decision she's had at the beginning, she's had at the whole movie. And now, of course, the glass, the glass you uh, that, that separates them. I mean, it's not, not hard to recognize what's going on with this final shot. The, the glass is separating them. Uh, they are sort of facing opposite directions. And they are, in a sense, separated from their daughter at the same time. And this is such a, a satisfying ending. <laughs> you know, I, I can see why someone would think that it's not. Um, and I love that Farhadi... Um, Kiarostami does this in his movies too. He waits a good long while on the final shot before those credits roll. Um, he sort of, it's almost like he wants wants us to soak in that last shot. And then she sits down. I love that they don't just stand in the same place. They're, they're sort of twitchy and acting like people who who would really be waiting in this kind of situation. And, um, and the other thing to note is that Terme is taking a long time in there. All she has to do is say one or the other and probably perhaps sign something, but she's taking a good long time. And meanwhile, all of these people are bustling by. It's such a beautiful uh, visual, uh, you know, the, the, there's a couple of white people, looks like. <laughs> there's a couple, it's, it's such a, a beautiful visual um, punctuation mark. Uh, well, punctuation is visual code anyway but such a beautiful visual at the end here um just as a final thought the reason i say or the reason i feel it's such a satisfying ending is because if you ended i think and i think for hottie perhaps knew this if you end this movie in in a way that somebody 
almost like musical chairs or, or you know, in a way where somebody's holding the ball and about to score a touchdown. Or if you if you end this movie in a way where, um, well, the settlement, you know, the money, the blood money is paid. So at least on paper, that means they were right. Or it wasn't paid because of some extenuating reason. And that means they were right. Or in the end, she picks her mother because that means... Uh, that's somehow Nader's pe penance being separated from his daughter. If you if you gave it a, a definite endpoint resolution where somebody is left with something, or with somebody gets the short end of a, of the stick, you you risk um uh, I think people misinterpreting what you're doing with the movie and what Farhadi's doing with the movie. Um, there there can't be a victor here because uh, you know there there's no there there can't be a winner um uh, especially given that we end the movie in that courtroom in the the uh hall of justice in in front of uh, the law and so i think a big part of what the movie's intentions are to show that not just that the law is kind of a blunt instrument but that um you know there there can't really be a winner when the fullness of these lives are not appreciated and the law is almost always not going to appreciate the fullness of the lives of involved here and what's at stake. So um, far from being an unsatisfying ending, I, I think it's the only sensible ending uh, and in a sense unsurprising, but in a movie that's filled with so many surprises, I, uh, I can't fault it for ending at, at what I think is... Um, a natural and and um, both thematically and and just narratively a, a natural and and um, very satisfying endpoint because it does does make that thematic point of um, of uh, no real victors or or losers here. At any rate, thank you for this uh, accompanying me on this tour, uh, this crash course through uh, Iranian cinema. Uh, care of uh, Farhadi's a separation and we'll see you next time